the life of David going through the Psalms. If you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is we read in Samuel, first or second Samuel, what David was going through, and then we jump over to the book of Psalms and get a chance to see what he wrote. And, you know, David wrote over 70 Psalms, um, but about 13, 14 of them, he actually says this is what happened while he was going through it. So we can pinpoint exactly to what he was going through and we can see it. So it's really neat to get a chance to see the physical side of what he was doing, but then also get a chance to see the spiritual side of what was going on in his heart. And last week we talked about how in 1 Samuel 21, David really didn't have a good chapter. He was doing a lot of things he shouldn't be doing, but yet the Psalms he was writing at that time really revealed a heart that said, Lord, I want to be right with you. And boy, we can relate to that, can't we? There's sometimes in our lives where our lifestyle is not really saying the right things, doing the right things, but our heart is saying, Lord, this is not who I want to be. I want to be right with you. And you can see that in David's life. Well, what we have here today is, and if you've missed a little bit of the background here, to make a very long story short, sum up a couple chapters in 30 seconds or less, David is being chased by Saul. Now, Saul is his father-in-law. Saul is the king of Israel. David has been anointed king of Israel, and David knows he's the next one that God's going to use. Well, Saul is very jealous. Saul does not like that. David's good-looking. He's the war hero. He's young. He's the next king. Saul's trying to take him out. So David's on the run. Well, in 1 Samuel 21, David goes to the uh, priest there, and he starts lying about what's going on, and that gets him in trouble. And then he runs in verses 10 through 15, he runs to enemy territory. And we talked about how often that happens in our spiritual lives, is that we flee to where we shouldn't be. When things start going rough, instead of clinging and going to God, we flee to where we shouldn't be. And he ran to the Philistines, which really caused him more trouble. Well, he gets away from the Philistines, and it takes us to 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Agilom. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now just one little verse there. He's on the run from Saul. He's already been to the priest. He lied about what was going on. He said he was on some business for the king when really he was running. He then ran to the Philistines. You know, ran to the enemy for comfort. Boy, oh boy, we've got to stay away from the enemy for comfort, don't we? But we still do that sometimes, don't we? When we have a tough time, we run to those things that really cause more pain than really would help us. And I heard a great teaching on this this week, and it brought up a point I've never heard before. David goes to the priest, and he also gets the sword of Goliath, if you remember that. And we talked about that in verse 9, how David traded faith for fear. In faith, he defeated Goliath, but in fear, he takes Goliath's sword. But I never put this together. He takes Goliath's sword... And then he runs to the Philistines. Okay, the Philistines were where Goliath was from. Now, Goliath's sword was one of a kind. This guy was nine plus feet tall. Anybody would have known this is Goliath's sword. How dumb is that? You take the weapon of your arch enemy that you defeated, and then you run to the enemy. See, it just shows what happens when we're not in the spirit. When we're in the flesh, we just do things that make no sense. Why are you dating him? Why are you dating her? Why are you going to that party? Why are you doing that? That makes no sense. You're running with the sword of Goliath right into the Philistine camp. So David gets out of there, though, and he ends up in verse 1 of chapter 22 in this cave. Now, caves are fascinating. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a cave before. I remember as kids we used to go to uh, the caves, and they're absolutely fascinating. In fact, uh, last year when we were down, I believe, i got to remember here, I think it was when we were down in Cincinnati, we took a few days off and went down there with the kids. They had this great children's museum. And they actually have this cave that they have built themselves that you can go in. And it's just absolutely fascinating. Well, here's the thing about a cave. You want to visit a cave 
You want to see a cave, but no one ever wants to live in a cave. And this is the thing about David. David is now going to live in a cave. Caves are cold. They're dark. They're damp. No one wants to live in a cave. But this is what happens when you get yourself out of the will of God and you start basing your life in fear instead of faith, you're going to end up in a spiritual cave. And let's go one step further. It's the cave of Agilum. You know what Agilum means? Fear. It's the cave of fear. David is actually now living in the cave of fear. This guy has fallen from where he should be. And he's going to spend some time now in the cave and spend some time in the wilderness. Now, here's the thing. Some of us are in a cave right now. You are just in a spiritually dark, damp place, and it's a really tough thing. Some of you in this cave by choices that you have made. Some are you in a cave by choices other people have made. Now, the whole thing, though, is if you're in the cave yourself and you've put yourself there, just leave. But the problem is sometimes we put ourselves in the cave. We put ourselves in the cave of depression. We put ourselves in the cave of apathy, of no one cares, no one understands, and we just go deeper and deeper into the darkness of this cave of depression. Some of you are in a cave right now, and it's not by your choice. You've gotten a bad report from the doctor. You've gotten bad news from a loved one. You have gone through a tough time at work. You did not ask to be in this cave. You don't want to be in this cave. But you are now in this spiritual darkness cave. It's a cave of fear. Fear of what could happen, might happen, has happened. So now that we see what David is, on the run from Saul, lying to the priest, going to the enemy, he ends up in the cave of fear. What is going through his heart as he goes through this? Now, turn, if you will, to Psalm 142. Psalm 142. We're going to talk about two psalms tonight, both of them written in the cave. So what was going through David's heart when he was in this cave, this cave of fear? Psalm 142, and let's go ahead and start here in verse 1. A contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. First verse, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. Now, I love that. Honesty. I love honesty. I love it when someone says, I am having a rough time right now. I hate it when someone gives me these fake responses of what I want to hear as a pastor. Because as a pastor, people want to tell me what I want to hear. Sometimes they want to tell me that to impress me, and other times they just want to shut me up. But they want, sometimes people are just saying, well, I just want to let you know it's a dark time right now, but thank the Lord I'm doing good. Man, I want to say, you know what, I just talked to your friend the other day, and your friend says you're having a horrible time. David is honest. How many of us right now can relate to verses 1 and 2? You're crying out to the Lord, and you're pouring out your complaint and your trouble before him. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's one catch to this. When you pour out your complaint and trouble to God, you have to make sure you stop and let him reply. I know a lot of Christians that are really good about complaining, but they never stop and let the Lord try to fix it. See, so often we'll pour out our complaint and our trouble before the Lord, but then we cut prayer off, and we never let God have a chance to come back and help fix it. David is going to also say, okay, Lord, you need to fix this now. Verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. How many of us are overwhelmed tonight? Then you knew my path and the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see. There is no one who knowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Well, isn't verse 4 a pity party verse? 
I've been in verse 4 before. No one acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Woe is me. No one gets it and understands. No one can relate to what I'm going through. No one cares. Come on, we've all been down this path before. If you're taking notes, verse 4 is where Satan loves to have you be. He wants you to live in verse 4. No one cares. No one understands. He wants you to live there. He wants you to be depressed. He wants you to be discouraged. He wants you to be apathetic. He wants you to plant yourself in this cave at verse 4 and just say, no one cares. What does God want you to do? If you're taking notes, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. See, when you say no one cares, that's when God taps you on the shoulder and says, oh, I care. I care a lot. Do we cast our cares on them, though? See, now we're at a changing point here in verse 4. Are we going to step out of the cave because God cares? Are we going to still stay back there in depression and discouragement and nope, nothing can help me? Because this is what happens. Is Let's say that there are life situations that you can't control. There's things happening in life that you have no control over that has pushed you into this cave. Do you believe that God can help you through it? Well, yeah, he can do this, but he, but he can't take care of this one. Isn't it amazing how much our faith starts to falter? I have no problems believing that God parted the Red Sea, that Jesus raised from the dead, that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. I have no problems believing that he created the world in six days. But yet, I can have the tiniest little situation in northwest Ohio. I'm like, Lord, this is too big for you. This is too big for you. Yeah, I know you did the whole creation thing, but Lord, this one's too big for you. Why? Because Satan has me at verse 4. No one cares for my soul. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Never forget that. So the question comes up is, do you trust him? Do you trust him in the big things and do you trust him in the little things? I find myself trusting God in the big things wonderfully. But it's those little things. Boy, those are the ones that pull me down. Because it's the little things that sometimes I feel like I can just take care of myself. Or it's the little things, it's like, okay, this is, this is, I don't want to bother God with this. We have to trust him in the big things and the little things. We have to trust him. Keep your hand here in Psalm 142 and jump back just a little bit to Psalm 57. Like I told you, he wrote two psalms in the cave. So the question comes up now of do we trust him? David is honest in his prayer. He's complaining. But then he's at this point of no one cares, no one acknowledges, no one understands. Now, Psalm 57. If you read the introduction again, it says to the chief musician, set to do not destroy a victim of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Verse 1, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. In the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed me by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches those ones who would swallow me up. Selah, God has sent forth his mercy and his trust. That word Selah literally means pause. It's written there to tell you to stop for a second and think about this. Think about what David just said. He says in verse 1, I'm going to trust you. Verse 2, God will send, excuse me, God will perform this for me. Verse 3, God will save me. Those are the two words, is trusting and saving. I have to trust that God will save me while I'm in the cave. Satan wants you to focus on what's wrong. God wants you to focus on what's right. 
And sometimes people say, yeah, there's nothing right in this situation. Well, you know what? Romans 8.28 says, in all things, God works for the good. Now, that's either a promise we believe or God lied. That's really what it comes down to. Now, I've been in situations where I thought, Lord, what good are you possibly going to bring out of this? And there's still some situations I'm waiting to see what the good is going to be. But he says, in all things, he works for the good. And he even goes one step further in the book of Psalms. He says, God is good and does good. So I have to trust that he's going to work these situations out. Now, it may not be the way I want it, but I have to trust that he's going to work this out, and I have to trust that he's going to save me out of this situation. Now, the question comes up of do I want it or not. And i got a real quick side story I have to take you to here. Can you go to Mark chapter 6 real quick? There's a real quick side story here about trusting God. Because it's one thing to say, I trust him. It's one thing to say that, you know what, yeah, I'm, I'm going to trust him in this difficult time. But it's another thing to actually do it. Mark 6 is one of my favorite little stories here in the Bible. And it's all because of one little phrase. Now, as you go to Mark 6, once again, you're in the cave. It's dark. It's damp. It's disgusting. And we're all in there in some way or another. Some of you are in a cave right here tonight. And you're saying, okay, Lord, do I trust you that you're going to get me out of this? Look at Mark 6. Pick it up in verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat, he meaning Jesus, and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. Well, he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. Let's stop there for a second. Verse 48 either makes you angry or it makes you thankful for your Savior. Because look at verse 48. He saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. I mean, come on. How many times has the wind been against you in your life where you feel like you take one step forward and it's two steps back? And you are rowing as hard as you can against the wind, and life isn't changing, marriage isn't getting any better, work isn't getting any better, relationships aren't getting any better, finances aren't getting any better, and you are just rowing and rowing and straining. And then you see verse 48 and you say, God sees that? That kind of ticks me off a little bit. He sees that. And let's go one step further. Look at the end of verse 48. He came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Do you realize that? God says, I'll just walk right past you. I see you struggling. I see you faltering. And I'm just going to walk right on by. Now, that is not a God of love. That's not a God of grace. And that's not a God of mercy, in my mind. But you have to get the full story. Verse 49, And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. See, here's the thing. You're sitting in your cave right now. It's dark. It's damp. It's depressing. It's discouraging. And as you're sitting in your cave, woe is me, Jesus walks by right in front of the cave. Oh, now what are you going to do? Because he's just going to walk on by. Do you cry out to him or not? See, here's a lot of times. A lot of us are in a boat, rowing, straining against the wind, and God doesn't do anything. And you know why the reason God wasn't doing anything? Because you won't let go of the oar. You're just going to take care of it yourself. See, there's been times in my life where I've been straining and rowing against the wind, 
God, do something. And God says, you have to in faith let go of the oar and let me take over. I don't want to do it sometimes. And so I'll sit there and whine and complain about my situation. No one cares, no one understands. And God says, wait a second, I'm walking right by you. I'm here to help you. But you have to have enough faith to trust that I'm going to be the one to take care of this situation. And I wonder how many times do we sit in a cave and see God walk by and we don't do anything about it. He wants to help you. Well, why doesn't he just jump in and take my hands off the oar and make me stop? Well, it's the wonderful gift and the wonderful curse of free will. He lets you make free will choices, and those free will choices sometimes take you deeper in your walk with the Lord, and sometimes those free will choices take you farther away in your walk with the Lord. He is not going to make you, not going to make you go deeper in Him. You have to want it. In this situation, they have to, in faith, realize we're straining and rowing against the wind. We need to stop this because right there is the Messiah that can take care of the situation for us. David, in the middle of the cave, has to stop and say, Okay, Lord, I trust you, and I trust that you will save me. Jump back now, if you're real quick, to Psalm 57. Let's finish this up here real quick. We have to trust that he's going to be the one that takes care of it. Because if you look in Psalm 57, how many of us can relate to this right now? Verse 4 of Psalm 57. My soul is among the lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. How many of you feel right now that you're just tossed in the middle of the lions? You're just getting ripped to shreds by life. And what lion is getting you? I don't know. Maybe it's the health lion. That one pulls a lot of people down. Bad reports from the doctor, potential bad reports from the doctor, health lion. Some of it's the finance lions. You feel like you just can't get ahead in life. And the finances are pulling you down. Some of you, it's the worry lion, it's the fear lion, it's the anxiety lion. You know, fill in the blank. What it is, it's some lion that is tearing you apart and ripping you to shreds, and your soul right now is being torn apart. You're in the middle of a cave, and now there's a lion in your cave. Not a lot of fun. So your soul is being ripped apart. So, what do you do? Verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. And how many times have we told you? When God ever repeats something, he's repeating it for a reason. So when he decides to say, my heart is steadfast, O oh God, and then go ahead and repeat it, my heart is steadfast, he's trying to tell you something. Depending on your translation, if you have King James, it says, my heart is fixed. If you have New Living Translation, my heart is confident. It all carries that same connotation. Your heart is strengthened on God and you are fixed and he is your strength that's going to get you through it. Now we have to stop real quick at verse 7 and very simply say, do we believe it or not? This is where you have to make that decision. Okay, because now we've added to our cave. We're in the cold cave, we're in the dark cave, we're in the damp cave. There's now a line in the cave and Jesus is just going to walk on by the cave. What are we going to do? Are we going to say that my heart is steadfast saying no matter what the doctor says, I trust you. No matter what work tells me tomorrow, I trust you. No matter what he says or she says or whatever happens to me, I will trust you because my heart is steadfast, O oh God. You have to stop and decide, is that what I believe or not? You cannot let the situations of the world dictate your faith. Sometimes you have to get out of the cave. I just want to share this real quick. Absolutely wonderful devotional. It's called The Christian in Complete Armor. And it is a wonderful devotion. I just want to share this one point that he was making here as I was reading through this. And he goes on and he quotes these verses. He says, without me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. He says, Paul put it this way, 
Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. And it goes on to say, Paul says, To will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Romans 7, 18. And then he quotes Philippians 2.13, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So what he's basically saying is this. You can do nothing without God, John 15. You're not sufficient to do anything without God, 2 Corinthians 3. You want to do what's right, but you can't, Romans 7.18. Philippians 2.13, God has to do it for you. Then he sums it up this way. God is at the bottom of the ladder and also at the top of the ladder. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's assisting the soul at every rung and its ascent to any holy action. And now the reason I bring this up is how many of us, when the going gets tough, we buckle down and say, we can do this. I, I can take care of this. And the whole point is you can't take care of it. David couldn't get himself out of the cave. There's no way that he was going to be able to do it. He says, I have to trust you, Lord. I have to trust that you're the one that's going to get me out of this. So here's David in a cave with the lions. Everybody's out to get him. Saul wants to kill him. Pretty soon Saul's going to send the army after him. So what does David do in the middle of this cave? Absolutely fascinating. Verse 7, I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. And then in Psalm 142, he goes on and he says just the same thing again. He says, you don't have to turn. He goes, bring my soul out of prison that I might praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. What is the answer when you're in the cave? Trust God. Realize he's going to save you. Be honest in your prayers. Realize God is there to get you out of it. But lastly, praise him. See, this is the thing, and we've been building on this every time we talk about David. So often when the going gets tough, we don't praise God. Because we always like to praise God for what he has done. So God, prove to me you've done something good, and then I will praise you. When God says, you just praise me no matter what. One of the things that Dawn and I have been trying to do when we do our prayer times at home is we always obviously have a time where we ask for things. We always have a time of confession. We always have a time of thanking God. But we have this time of just praise. And I'm not saying we sing or anything like that, but we just praise him. Not praise him for what he's done, but I'm saying we just praise him in the sense for grace and mercy and salvation, those theological things. I mean, yeah, we thank Him for cars that run and thank Him for a house and thank Him for four healthy kids, but sometimes we just stop and praise Him, Lord. Thank, praise You, Lord, for letting us serve You. Praise You, Lord, for Your grace and mercy. And we always start out prayer that way because it really sets the rest of the scene. And how many times have we said out here, there's always a reason to praise God. And the reason you can always praise God is because He has saved you out of hell. That's a pretty good reason to start. Your situation may be falling apart around you. You may be being torn up by the lions. You may be in a cold, dark, damp cave. But there's always a reason to praise God. And here's David in the middle of this cave saying, You know what? I'm going to praise you, Lord. Even though Saul's trying to kill me, even though my life is on the run, I'm still going to praise you for who you are, and I'm not going to let the cave control me. I'm going to let my praise do it. And what a wonderful, wonderful point that is. And I encourage you tonight, if you're in a dark time right now, and you're in the back of a cave, and the lions are ripping you to shreds, trust God, realize he will get you out of this, and tell you, don't let the praise dry up. Don't ever stop and say, no one cares, no one understands. God cares, God understands, and he is with you in the darkness of that cave. Does anybody have any final questions, comments? Yeah, John.
Yeah. And, that, and that's a great one there is, um, you know, Job, that, that absolutely wonderful passage of, you know, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. You know, and it is, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And um, Job wasn't just saying that. He was living that. Yeah, that's a good one there too on Job. Real good one. Some of us are going through some Job moments right now probably. Anybody else have anything here? Final questions, comments here? All righty. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, as we come to you right now, Lord, if there is someone here tonight or listening to this online or on CD here, and they're in a cave. I just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would show them you're the light and that darkness and that dampness. Lord, I pray that you would show them you are there and that they would trust in you and, Lord, that you will save them out of this. Lord, I pray that uh, our praise would never dry up because of circumstances and situations, but no matter what we face, to you be the glory, Lord, in all ways and all things. And, Lord, for those right now being torn up by the lions, Lord, their souls in tatters, Encourage them, uplift them, let them know that no matter what they're facing, you're there and you will keep them strong in you. And lift this up in your name. Amen.